0: Hey, good to see everybody here. Good morning. And uh, good morning to everybody online. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, If you have your Bible with you, please turn with me to Ephesians 3, verse 14. And I want to add one little song to our worship set that I need your help singing. It's a very important song. It's a song that many of us learned at an early age. If you know the words, sing along. Okay, kids, the song is Jesus Loves Me. Okay. And I'm going to be brave and lead us out here. Okay? Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. May God always give us power to believe those words. Because the longer we live, the more tempting it can be to think that God doesn't love us. We do bad things, we hurt one another, we lack faith in God and we wonder, does Jesus still love me? Other people hurt us and abuse us. We suffer from sicknesses, tragedies happen in our lives and we wonder, does Jesus love me? In his new book called Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortlund writes this. Maybe you have been deeply mistreated, misunderstood, betrayed by the one person you should have been able to trust, abandoned, taken advantage of. Perhaps you carry a pain that will never heal, heal till you are dead. You might think, if my love, if, excuse me, if my life is any evidence of the mercy of God in Christ, then I'm not impressed. And to you, I say the evidence of Christ's mercy toward you is not in your life. The evidence of his mercy toward you is his. Mistreated, misunderstood, betrayed, abandoned, eternally in your place. If God sent his own Son, To walk through the valley of condemnation, rejection, and hell, then you can trust him as you walk through your own valleys on your way to heaven. Perhaps you have difficulty receiving the rich mercy of God in Christ, not because of what others have done to you, but because of what you've done to torpedo your own life. Maybe through one big, stupid decision or maybe through 10,000 little ones, you have squandered his mercy and you know it. To you I say, do you know what Jesus does with those who squander his mercy? He pours out more mercy. God is rich in mercy. That's the whole point. Whether we have been sinned against or have sinned ourselves into misery, The Bible says God is not tight-fisted with mercy, but open-handed. He's not frugal, but lavish. He's not poor, but rich. And that God is rich in mercy means that your regions of deepest shame and regret are not hotels through which divine mercy passes, but homes in which divine mercy abides. And listen to this this, this last sentence. It means that the things about you that make you cringe most make him hug hardest. If you remember, the, the Apostle Paul began his letter to the Ephesians by urging Christians to praise God for his incomprehensibly great love for us. Paul tells Christians that God has loved us with a a predestinating love and an adopting love, with a redeeming love, a sanctifying love, a reconciling love, and a sealing love. And Paul does not want us to just know in our minds that God loves us. Paul wants us to believe in our hearts that God loves us. And more than that, Paul wants us to continue to experience God's love in new and powerful ways. In fact, Paul says it is essential for us as believers to believe that God loves us if we are to grow into mature followers of Christ who think and act and talk like Jesus Christ. It's essential to grow in our comprehension of God's love for us. Here's what Paul writes in Ephesians three fourteen to 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. So as Paul wraps up everything that he's taught about gospel doctrine in the first three chapters of Ephesians, he closes with this prayer. And he he literally drops to his knees in humble reverence before God the Father, who he says is the one who is over all things in heaven and on earth, and Paul prays for three things. First, Paul asks the Father to give Christians more of the Holy Spirit's power so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. Second, Paul asks the Father to give Christians more of the Holy Spirit's power so that they might increasingly comprehend and personally experience the unfathomable love of Christ so that they may become more like Christ. And third, Paul prays that God would be glorified throughout all generations, both in the church, his church, and in Christ Jesus. So let's talk about these requests one at a time. First, Paul asks the Father to give your Christians more of the Spirit's power so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. In verses 16 to 17a, Paul prays, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So, Paul prays with a what, a why, and a how. A what, a why, and a how. What is Paul asking the Father to do? To give Christians more of the Spirit's power in their inner being. So we cannot love God, we cannot know God personally, we cannot become holy like God is holy unless the power of God's Holy Spirit is pulsing inside of us, okay? We cannot love one another unless the power of God's Holy Spirit is pulsing inside of us. The only way we can have this happen, the only way we can have the Holy Spirit pulsing inside of us is if God does that for us, if he he gives us his Holy Spirit. And thankfully, Jesus said that God gladly gives his Holy Spirit to every person who trusts in him for salvation. In John 14, 16 to 17, Jesus told the 12 disciples, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever forever even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And Here in Ephesians 3:16 to 17a, Paul is praying for believers who already have the Holy Spirit living inside them. And so what's he, what's he doing here? Well, Paul is he's asking the Father to cause his Holy Spirit to release more power. Release more power in these Christians as they continue to trust and follow Jesus. That's the prayer. Release more power, Father, in these Christians as they trust Jesus not only with their salvation, but also with everything that happens in their lives. Now why does Paul ask that God would release more of the Spirit's power inside Christians. In 17a, Paul says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, why in the world is Paul praying for Christ to dwell in our hearts through faith if Christ is already dwelling in our hearts through faith, right? Well, the word that Paul uses for dwell here is a strong word. It means to settle down in. It means to live in, not just temporarily, but to live in permanently. It means to make oneself at home. And so Paul's praying here that as the Holy Spirit gives Christians more and more power, we will trust God more and more. And as we trust God more and more, he's praying that God will give us more and more power. And as this happens, as we trust Jesus more and more by the power of the Holy Spirit, This is what Jesus is doing in our inner being. He is settling down more and more inside of us. He's making himself at home more and more inside of us. Jesus is is moving throughout all the rooms of our inner man, and he's cleaning house. He's making us into a temple that he loves to live in. He's making our hearts into a place where he feels more and more at home. A home that increasingly reflects who he is. You know, the longer that you live in a house or the longer that you live on a property, the more that you make changes to your house or that property and the the more that you decorate it to reflect you and the things that you love. And that's what Paul prays for us here that the more that we trust in Jesus by the power of the Spirit, the more that Jesus would change our inner man to reflect Jesus and to reflect the things that Jesus loves. And how does Paul ask God to do all this? Well in verse 16 Paul says, according to the riches of his glory according to the riches of his glory. So like we talked about last week, the riches of God's glory are so great that it is impossible to find the end of his riches. Can you hear that? It is not just incredibly difficult to find the end of his riches. The word here says it's actually impossible to find the end of uh, of the riches of his grace. That's great news (laughs) for us. Um, I went to the hardware store this week and saw a sign, maybe you've seen the same signs too, that there's a coin shortage right now in America due to the COVID-19 crisis. And and one of the reasons for this coin shortage is because the U.S. Mint has not been producing as many coins uh, due to certain measures put in place to protect their employees. And as I thought about that, it hit me. You know, even though... The U.S. mint may run out of riches. God never will. <laughs> God's heavenly mint will never be shut down because nobody could shut down God. Nobody can stop the grace of God. And so from the never-ending riches of his heavenly mint, God has endless spiritual power to give to us now and forever without end. We trust that. That is great news for us. And so Paul here first asks the Father to give Christians more power, more of the Holy Spirit's power, so that Christ may make himself at home in their hearts as they trust in him. And second, Paul asked the Father to give Christians more of the Holy Spirit's power so that they might increasingly comprehend and personally experience the unfathomable love of Christ so that they may become more like Christ. And again, Paul prays with a what, a why, and a how. What is Paul asking the Father to do? To give believers strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of God's love and to know this love experientially, to know this love of Christ that surpasses knowledge itself. And Paul desperately asked God uh, to give those of us Holy Spirit power first so that we will know how much God loves us. So hear this, Christians. This is incredible news. And this is important to Paul. This is important to God. This is something he wants us to remember He wants you to know that he loves you with a great love that is so big you will never trace the end of it. You'll never find the end of it. What that means is, you know, no matter how much you already know about Christ's love for you, there is infinitely more for you to know because his love for you is infinite because God is infinite. Charles Spurgeon said that God's love for you is so long that your old age cannot wear it out, your continual tribulations cannot exhaust it, and your successive temptations shall not drain it dry. Like eternity itself, God's love knows no bounds. And so if we think of God's love in terms, you know, the best way we can as humans in terms of dimensions like that he mentions here, breadth and length and height and depth, then we must think of it this way. As we think of those dimensions, realize this, God's love for us goes forever in all of those directions. It doesn't have an ending point. It just goes forever in all those directions. So what does that mean? There's no escaping God's love for you, Christian. (laughs) There's no escaping his love. There's no finding the end of his love for us in Jesus Christ. Praise God. And Paul here, he, well, he, he, he not only asked that God would help us comprehend this, but he also uh, asked that God would give us power so that we would experientially know the love of Christ, this love that actually surpasses knowledge. Christ's love is so marvelous and so divine that our little brains just can't understand it in totality, obviously, but Paul's prayer is that from the riches of God's grace it would be God's good pleasure to give us power to see the love of Christ and to experience his love in our lives both at the moment of salvation but also in infinitely new ways after that. Fresh experiences of God's love for us. Praise God, we all need that. And why does Paul ask the Father to give us power to know and experience God's love? He says, so that Jesus' followers will be filled with all the fullness of God. God's prayer for you, Christian, is not that you would remain immature in your faith or powerless in your faith. God wants to grow you up. He wants to grow us up as individuals. He wants to grow us up together as a church, because by making us mature, God is making us more like him. He's making us more like Jesus, and that is what glorifies God the most, himself. And so the more that he can make us like him, the more glory he gets and the more the joy that we get. And so uh, the more that we become like the Lord, the more that we are reflecting Jesus to the world around us, the more that, like we learned last week, the more that we become like Jesus, we are reflecting his glory to all of the beings in the heavenlies. And the more that we were reflecting God's glory back to himself in worship. And so Paul's prayer here is a prayer for maturity, that God would help us to understand his love so that we would mature in Christ. And how does Paul ask God to give us the strength to do all this? He says, by being rooted in and grounded in God's love. By being rooted in and grounded in God's love. Many of you, I would think, are growing gardens right now. And uh, we know that the quality of the soil directly affects the quality of the plants. And in the same way, in order for us to mature in Christ, we must be rooted in the love of God. (laughs) And that must be our soil, And the word for rooted here, it refers to the way that plants become firmly fixed in the ground. Not simply placed, but the way that they take hold in the ground. So um, plants are not merely placed in soil. What what happens, kids? If you've ever pulled a plant out, if you've ever uh, had to uh, pull out weeds, what do you see? Their roots spread out, and they get so entangled with the soil that the roots and the soil almost become inseparable, to a certain point. And by the grace of God, when we trusted in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, God rooted us firmly into himself and into his love. He grounded or established us into his love. That's the soil in which we grow. That's the soil to which we take hold. And so what this means is now we are inseparable from him. And what happens to this love that's in the soil? It flows into us. This is where we take our life from. It flows into our veins. It fills us. This is what grows us in maturity, the love of God. And then what happens? A flower comes or a plant grows, and this is what displays the love of God to the world. And then what happens? Through us, God bears seeds that he uses to create more beautiful creations for his glory, right? That's what God wants to do through us by his love. And third, now, Paul prays that God would be glorified throughout all generations in the church and in Christ Jesus. In verse 20, Paul writes that, what? What is our Heavenly Father able to do? Far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, or imagine, right? God's resources are limitless, okay? He is the God who creates all things out of nothing. <laughs> and his strength, his power to use those resources to help us is more powerful than any strength in the universe. And his desire to use his resources to help us is great. Why do we know that? How do we know that? Because he has already given everything for us when he came to earth and died on the cross to save us from Satan and sin and hell and death. And so, what this means is, may, may God then, his spirit, may his spirit empower us to pray God-sized prayers. Okay, to pray massive prayers, prayers for the glory of God, prayers for the joy of our families in Christ, prayers for our whole community, prayers, prayers for our whole country, prayers for, uh, prayers for people groups who are lost in the world who need the gospel still, prayers for the whole world. See, with God's help, may we not settle for small prayers because he could do anything. May we not settle for doubt-filled prayers, but may we pray great prayers of faith that are way bigger than us, prayers of faith that reveal how great we believe God to be because our prayers indicate how great we believe God is. Either he can only do these little things maybe or he is great and he can do whatever he wants according to his goodwill, right? And so as we pray Ridiculously big prayers in submission to God's will. And as we trust in Jesus, as we rely on Jesus, and as he gives us power to know and experience the massiveness of his love, may God be glorified throughout all generations. Now and in eternity, both in us who are his church. And also in Christ Jesus, the resurrected, reigning Lamb of God. That's the prayer.